0: Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Hello and welcome to today's episode of An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Today we'll be discussing 1st Nephi chapters 1 and 2, but we will also briefly talk about geography and politics because those will become relevant. The book of 1st Nephi is the first book in the Book of Mormon, however it was not the first book translated. Uh, we will get to that in a later episode. The book of 1st Nephi begins with an introduction. Written by Nephi, before the chapter officially begins, we'll find many of these summaries throughout the Book of Mormon. In fact, most major books have them. Second Nephi, Jacob, Alma, Helaman, 3rd and 4th Nephi, and Ether all have them. Messiah does not have one, but perhaps it originally did. We'll get to that when we discuss the missing pages. The introduction says the book is an account of Lehi and Sariah and their four sons in order by age. Laman, Lemuel, Sam, and Nephi. It describes what Nephi considers to be the major events of the book of First Nephi, and it ends with the following phrase, This is according to the account of Nephi, or in other words, I, Nephi, wrote this record. He then begins his narrative. In verse 1, he gave his qualifications for writing the record. He said, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. And having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. So, what reasons or qualifications did he give? He had seen many afflictions, he had been highly favored of the Lord, he had a great knowledge of the goodness and mysteries of God, therefore he made the record. Some people talk about the Book of Mormon as Nephi's journal, but a better description would be his memoirs. He wrote it as an older man looking back with a lifetime of perspective rather than it being something that he wrote as he he went along. In verse 2, Nephi discussed the language he used to write the, the record. He claimed to write in the language of his father. This language, he said, consisted of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians, or perhaps, more plainly, he may have been writing in Hebrew using Egyptian characters. We learn more about this in Mosiah 1. Mosiah 1, verse 2, says that King Benjamin caused that his three sons, quote, should be taught in all the language of his fathers that they might know concerning the prophecies which had been spoken by the mouths of their fathers. We also learn that they needed to learn this language to understand the brass plates. Without the brass plates, he said, we, quote, we must have suffered in ignorance, even at this present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. What language specifically was he talking about? Well, the answer is a few verses later in Mosiah four. He says that Father Lehi could not have remembered everything well enough to teach his children, except it were for the help of these plates, for he having been taught in the language of the Egyptians, therefore he could read these engravings and teach them to his children. So, not only were, the, were Nephi's plates written in Egyptian, but the brass plates were as well. Moroni tells us a little more about this in Mormon chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, when he says, quote, And now, behold, we have written this record according to our knowledge, In the characters, which are called among us the Reformed Egyptian, being handed down and altered by us according to our manner of speech. And if our plates had been sufficiently large, we could have written in Hebrew, but the Hebrew hath been altered by us also. And if we could have written in Hebrew, behold, you would have had no imperfection in our record. So how common was this practice of writing with Egyptian characters? The brass plates were written with Egyptian characters, So this wasn't something that was unique to Lehi. So I asked Google for other examples of Hebrew language written using Egyptian characters. And I found an article in Science Daily. I've included a link to this in the show notes. And the article, which was written in 2007, talks about a professor in Jerusalem translating, quote, the earliest continuous Semitic text ever deciphered. I won't read the whole article, but but here's what it says about the translation. Although written in Egyptian characters, the text turned out to be composed in the Semitic language spoken by the Canaanites in the 3rd millennium BCE, a very archaic form of the languages later known as Phoenician and Hebrew. This means that Lehi wasn't the first Jew to write using Egyptian characters. Now, there's some debate among scholars about whether the Nephites wrote In Egyptian or whether they simply used Egyptian characters. And I've attached a link to a BYU publication that talks about that. But let's pause for a minute. If the Book of Mormon was authored by Joseph Smith, how did he know to include this detail about writing in Hebrew using Egyptian characters or about the tendency of of Hebrews to write using Egyptian characters? All right, now let's continue with verses 4 and 5. For it came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father having dwelt in Jerusalem in all his days. And in that same year there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. Wherefore, it came to pass that my father, Lehi, as he went forth, prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all his heart in behalf of his people there are a few important things covered in, in those two verses. First, Nephi's story begins in the first year of the reign of King Zedekiah. And second, prophets are saying that the people of Jerusalem need to repent or they'll be destroyed. And third, Lehi's Lehi, who is Nephi's father, heard these prophecies and prayed on behalf of his people. So let's talk about Zedekiah and also about Jerusalem and it being at risk of destruction. So at the time of Nephi and Lehi, Jerusalem was part of the kingdom of Judah and was surrounded by several powerful nations. They had Egypt to the west, the Assyrians to the north, and Babylon to the east. Assyria had been the dominant power for centuries, but Babylon was on the rise and was threatening to conquer Assyria. In roughly 609 BC, Egypt wanted to go north to, to help Assyria, but to do so, they had to march through the land of Judah. Jehoahaz, the king of Judah, didn't like Pharaoh marching through Judah and put up some resistance. And as a consequence, he was captured and taken back to Egypt. And Pharaoh made Judah a vassal state, meaning a state required to make ongoing tribute payments to Egypt. And he appointed Jehoahaz's older brother, Jehoiakim as the king. But a few years later, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, he defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish. Carchemish was a, it's located north of Judah between modern-day Syria and Turkey. After being defeated, Pharaoh returned to Egypt. Meanwhile, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, died, and his 18-year-old son, Jehoiachin, took his place on the throne. And I sure hope I'm pronouncing those names right with with Pharaoh and his men having returned to Egypt, Babylon marched south into Judah. 2 Kings 24:10 through 17 describes Nebuchadnezzar besieging Jerusalem and carrying King Jehoiachin captive back to Babylon uh, along with his family, court officials, and a large number of Jerusalem's best craftsmen and skilled workers. From the Bible we learn that Daniel was among the people carried off to Babylon along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who the Babylonians renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was, that was something the Babylonians liked to do. They gave Babylonian names to the people they conquered. Meanwhile, back at Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jehoiachin's uncle, Mattaniah as king and gave him the Babylonian name of Zedekiah. So Nephi's story begins during the first year of the reign of this king Zedekiah. So why was Jerusalem at risk of being destroyed? Well, for starters, they had already been conquered less than a year previously. They were a Babylonian vassal state expected to pay regular tribute to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. When Zedekiah eventually stopped making payments to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's army returned. They utterly destroyed Jerusalem and they carried carried Zedekiah and any remaining Jews off to Babylon. So, returning to our story, prophets were warning that Jerusalem would be destroyed if the people did not repent. Lehi heard these warnings and prayed to the Lord on behalf of his people. Now, I I don't know whether Lehi was a prophet at this point or whether he was simply a man concerned for his people, but As he prayed, a pillar of fire appeared before him, and he saw and heard things that caused him to quake and tremble. He returned home, cast himself on his bed, and lying there, he had a vision in which he thought he saw God on his throne. Maybe in a future, one of these discussions, we can talk about the phrasing of that. Why he says he thought he saw God on his throne. Surrounded by angels. One of these angels descended, accompanied by 12 others, and gave him a book to read. I quote, And it came to pass that as he read, he was filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and he read, saying, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, for I have seen thine abominations, yea, and many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem, that it should be destroyed, and the inhabitants thereof. Many should perish by the sword, and many should be carried away captive into Babylon. In his vision, Lehi saw Jerusalem being destroyed, and then we get to verse 14. And it came to pass when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as great and marvelous are are they works, O Lord God Almighty. Isn't that interesting? He prayed on behalf of his people because he was worried about them being destroyed. He saw them being destroyed and his reaction was to say, Great and marvelous are they works, O Lord God Almighty. Verse 15 goes on to tell us, That his soul did rejoice and his whole heart was filled because of the things which he had seen. Why did Lehi rejoice? Perhaps his vision gave him an eternal perspective where death was less tragic. I don't know. It doesn't say. But God commanded Lehi to share what he had learned. Verse 19 says, He testified that the things which he saw and heard and also the things which he read in the book manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah and also the redemption of the world. Lehi began to prophesy unto the people, but the Jews did not appreciate his message. Nephi said in his introduction that they wanted to take his life because he testified of their iniquity. Verse 19 says they mocked him for preaching about their wickedness and abominations, but he also spoke of a future Messiah. Talking about the future Messiah might have been considered blasphemy by the church's leadership. In verse 20, we read that when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him Yea, even as with the prophets of old, and sought to take away his life. In First Nephi 2, 1, it continues, For behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, yea, even in a dream, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, ne- Lehi, because of the things which thou hast done, and because thou hast been faithful, and declared unto this people the things which I commanded thee. Behold, they seek to take away thy life. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. In in my opinion, the people seeking to kill Lehi were likely conspiring behind closed doors. If people had openly threatened his life while he was preaching, he probably would not have needed a dream from God to warn him that his life was in danger. In that same dream, God commanded Lehi to take his family, leave Jerusalem, and travel into the wilderness. They left their land and property and journeyed for three days. They stopped at a valley by a river. Lehi named the river Laman, and he named the valley Lemuel. He said he wished that his oldest son Laman could be like the, the river ever flowing under righteousness, and that Lemuel could be as firm and steadfast as the valley in keeping God's commandments. Quote, Now this he spake because of their stiff ne- of the stiff neckedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things against their father because he was a visionary man. Reading between the lines, we find out that Nephi was also upset about leaving Jerusalem. But unlike his brothers, he sought the Lord's help. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. From this verse, we, we learn that Nephi was not happy about leaving Jerusalem either, and his heart needed, needed to be softened. After commending Nephi for his humility, God revealed to him that his family would permanently be leaving Jerusalem. Verse 20, And inasmuch as he shall keep my commandments, he shall prosper and shall be led to a land of promise, yea, even a land which I have prepared for you, a land which is choice above all other lands. He also told Nephi that, quote, Inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. In verse 16, Nephi described himself as exceedingly young. We don't know the age of any of Lehi's sons. But we know that Nephi and his brothers are all, are, are all married before they leave the camp in the Valley of Lemuel, and perhaps they're close in age because they're all married at the same time. And we also know from chapter 18 that Nephi had children, plural, roughly eight years later on the ship to the Promised Land. That's all I have for today. Next time we'll talk about First Nephi chapter 3, which gives us more of an introduction to Laman and Lemuel. That's all I have for today, and we will hopefully talk to you soon.